It's time for the IHSA Safety Podcast. Hey, Marin, welcome back to the core podcast. Uh, today we're talking about uh, element two, hazard assessment, analysis, and control. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Um, I know this is uh, one of your favorite topics. Absolutely. <laughs> Who doesn't love this topic? <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that I want to kind of preface this um, episode with before we jump in is that there's going to be a lot of safety words, a lot of safety terminology in here that... Um, if you don't know what they mean, then this episode might get a little bit confusing to you. Um, but we are going to go through this and um, assuming that you know everything that we're talking about. So, you know, we're not going to be going through and training and, you know, talking about what is a hazard and, you know, what is a, a job hazard analysis and, and stuff like that. So if if uh, perhaps you aren't as familiar with all the terms in here then it would be a good idea to um, go into your core handbook um, and take a look at the the back of it where it has the glossary of the terms so you can review some of that stuff um, or you know you can do a little bit of training in hazard assessments before you actually tackle this element because if you don't have the proper foundation and the proper knowledge in order to uh, tackle this uh, element you're going to end up in the weeds uh, trying to tackle it, right? So you definitely want to be well aware of all the terminology and well aware of uh, what we're what we're talking about. Would you agree with that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. This one, this element is so central to a lot of the aspects of a solid health and safety management system. And because of that, there's a lot of concepts um, that are driven by this element mm-hmm. that uh, are just too big for a podcast conversation today. Yeah. So um, that well, would be the starting place. It's a whole it's a whole training course, right? <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. Go on the IHSA website and you can find Intro to Hazards. Yeah. And, and that's a big, it's a, it's a great resource. And, and oftentimes uh, if I have... Um, an organization that has submitted their internal audit and element two is not up to par and I can clearly see that there's a lot of gaps and probably a lot of um, misconceptions and just maybe not the the proper knowledge foundation there then I will definitely recommend that they they go to that online course and and take the intro to risks uh, assessment. Yeah I actually just retook it recently myself and Mm -hmm. um, you know it's always good to have an update and just kind of refresh yourself from from the foundations. For sure for sure. Okay, so um, we're going to start off with this uh, hefty element here. Uh, Question 2.1. Are hazard assessments conducted, documented, and approved for all operations? Excellent. So one thing that I like to take on with this element, because it can be a little bit overwhelming, is I like to try and break the concepts that are presented into sort of more manageable pieces of the storyline that we're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to element two, what what I sort of see it as is the steps of identifying your tasks mm-hmm. and your company's scope for your hazard assessment, mm-hmm. stating all your hazards, then rating the associate, associated risks, defining controls based on those, and finally communicating them to your staff. Okay. So those are a lot of steps, Yeah. but... That's really the whole flow of the element. The first three questions here really mm-hmm. talk about the setup of the procedure, the the who, what, and when of, of conducting your hazard assessments and really determining that scope. So identifying your tasks and how you're gonna compile them. So in that context, 2.1, 
it's it's really a big piece of identifying the full scope of the work done by your organization. Mm-hmm. So when you answer this question, you want to provide us with your procedure for hazard assessment so that we can see what your plan is to identify your full scope. We can see who's involved and how you plan to tackle it. But do note that the scoring for this question is actually not based on the procedure, but rather on the implementation of the procedure. Mm -hmm. So we really need to be able to then verify in implementation that you have, according to that procedure, verified all of your operations. Right. And that senior management has actually approved these as well. Because at this level, we want to see that senior management is agreeing that these are in fact the the tasks performed and then the hazards and risks and controls that you'll associate with them. Mm-hmm. Are there any common errors that you we would typically see when um, people are submitting documentation for this question? Yeah, uh, so when it comes to scope, it's so tempting. And, and I'll admit when I was an internal auditor um, before I came to the IHSA, I was guilty of this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really tempting to focus on your higher risk activities and your higher risk locations in terms of your hazard assessment and sometimes forget about what might be considered a more intermediate or lower risk area. Right. So things like the office environment when you're a construction company or, or the shop or even if... Um, you are commuting to and from various locations. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of these things are often overlooked as pieces of the work, and yet they are critical pieces of your operations as well. True. Another issue that we see is uh, if firms are not demonstrating what their procedure says that they're going to be doing. So, for example, if if your procedure states that you're going to be doing a project-level hazard assessment, uh, that's something you're going to want to show proof of to demonstrate that you are, in fact, doing what your procedure has outlined. Right. Because as with um, you will hear me and other auditors say throughout this entire series is that, you know, what we are doing is we are auditing you to your procedure, right? So you want to make sure that your procedure is well defined. And then this question is asking to provide proof of everything that you're saying that you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of key with this element, too, as well, to note that there really isn't legislative marked questions. Mm. There's a lot of freedom here for firms to a- achieve their goals and achieve the the sort of expectations of these questions mm-hmm. in a way that suits them because there aren't those legislative tie-ins that you're right. being held to for specific compliance. Right. And definitely, you know, as you mentioned before, you're going to be wanting to make sure that it's tailored to you know, your company, uh, right? So for hazard assessments, it's not a one size fits all. Like if you're a large scale operation, you might have very different needs than a company of maybe only five to seven people, right? That's absolutely true. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, question 2.2, are hazard assessments maintained? So this one, again, make sure your procedure defines how you're going to achieve this. Really what we're looking for here is a system that's going to make sure that you don't create a hazard assessment document and then it just sits there. Mm-hmm. We want to know that it's being updated at appropriate times, that you have a plan for that. And again, the key here is implementation evidence for this question. Mm-hmm. So we need to know that you have a process for it, but also see you demonstrate that you're carrying that process out. So this is a question where we're looking for three consecutive samples of how you are maintaining those hazard assessments based on your plan to right. achieve that. 
Okay, so uh, could you give us an example of that? Sure. So examples of the type of evidence we could see for these would include an annual review of your hazard assessments, your daily assessments that you might be performing, or even your project assessments, depending on what you have in your program. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Um, 2.3, are appropriate personnel involved in the hazard assessment process? So for this one, really, this is the, the last of the first three that I was saying had a lot to do with, you know, building the scope of your hazard assessment. Mm -hmm. This is the who piece. So we've talked about what needs to go into the hazard assessment and when it needs to be updated. Here we're talking about who is going to be involved in that process. Again, you really should have a procedure that outlines who the expectations are lying with and um, then demonstrate to us through your verification documentation that those people in those specific roles that your program indicates are involved. So to do this, really, we want to see names. We need you to tell us what role they fill because mm -hmm. even though you know what their job is, we as reviewers won't know what their right. role is in the organization. We'd like to see signatures and clarification as to what those people contributed to the process so we can compare that to your procedures. Right. Okay. Uh, 2.4, are workplace and job-specific hazards clearly identified in the job hazard assessment documents? So this one, we really have already now talked about the what, the when, and the who of building that hazard assessment document. Now we actually get to start digging in and talk about how we're going to populate more pieces of that document. Mm -hmm. So if you've identified all the tasks that your organization is concerned with in your operations, it's going to include your routine and non-routine to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. uh, now you're going to state the hazards associated with each task in that list. We want you to look at all foreseeable hazards and clearly identify them for each thing. There's going to likely be more than one hazard for each task. And so it's really critical that people who really know those tasks and the steps involved in them are involved in this process and can provide that information to identify those hazards appropriately. Right, for sure. Could you uh, give us an example of what, you'd be, what we'd be looking to see submitted here? So we're looking for a document that's addressing a specific task in your workplace, um, something that identifies those hazards clearly uh, for a given task. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, if I was looking at a hazard assessment relating to installing the parapet on a school, um, then one of the hazards at that point is going to be working at heights. Mm -hmm. That's gonna probably the, be the one that jumps out and jumps to mind most immediately. But there's also going to be other hazards associated with, you know, the carrying of the materials, the cutting of the materials, the installing of the materials. There's going to be a whole listing of different hazards that we can come up with associated with that one task. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> question 2.5, are risks prioritized? Excellent. So once we have our list of tasks and for each of those tasks, we have a list of hazards. It's time to take, it the, take a look at the risks that uh, are associated with those hazards and sort the hazards through those risks um, into sort of a priority system. Mm -hmm. So we're going to develop that system that needs to consider both the likelihood and severity of the possible illness or injury associated with the hazard, the risk and ensure that that rating system is not only clearly laid out,
but used consistently through your through your system. Mm -hmm. The documentation you're going to provide us here, again, you know, it's important to have that system laid out in terms of your procedure, but we're looking to see the implementation as well. So do make sure you show us where you're applying that risk rating system right. in your hazard ass assessment process. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, one of the things that I would see often submitted here is maybe just the, the pulse, like the procedure, sorry, mm. um, the procedure where it shows, you know, what the risk rating system is, but then there's no um, documentation showing that it's been implemented, you know, and actually applied to the tasks. Right. I like to call that the almost submission. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's almost enough to say that you have that system in place, but mm -hmm. we need that little bit more, uh, the implementation evidence to show us that it is in fact being utilized. Yeah. And I think it's important for clients to, um, or internal auditors to remember is that, um, you know, throughout the whole core audit process, like we are really looking to evaluate that implementation. Sometimes we're asking for, you know, the um, policy or the procedure, but usually it's so that we can refer back to it and, and verify that things have been actually implemented. So, you know, in, in context of this question, are risks prioritized? Simply showing us your chart and your, your risk rating system isn't going to be enough to satisfy. Um, as with most, most questions, you need to have that uh, proof, the proof of implementation. So that's right. Um, and so uh, also on this uh, topic, I wanted to clarify, um, you said about you know rating the risks. Um, so should you be rating the risks um, before the controls have been put in place, or should you be rating the risks after the company has put the control in place? Oh, that's a really good point to clarify. Uh, really, it's recommended that you would do both. Mm -hmm. So we're we're going to recommend that firms are going to rate the risks before any controls have been applied mm -hmm. as an initial risk, but also after to take a look at the residual risk right. after the controls are in place. Okay, thank you. Um, 2.6, is there a list of identified critical tasks? Okay, so once we go through all that process that we just talked about in 2.5, and we have all of our risks rated in the hazard assessment document according to our risk rating system, mm -hmm. now it's going to be an important step for us to gather that listing into something that's, that's sort of a, a meaningful, concentrated representation of the highest risks or critical tasks that we found in that um, risk rating process. This is going to help our employees recognize what are the highest risks that they might face in a day. Mm -hmm. And how would a organization determine which of its tasks would be deemed high risk? Like, Is there a certain mm -hmm. uh, criteria or a specific risk rating that they should be using? Um, yes. But this is another case where uh, we ask the firm to determine what that threshold or that criteria is going to be for them. Mm -hmm. It's key for you to state what you decide that threshold is going to be for you. Right. And basically you're going to choose a threshold that makes sense. And above that threshold, based on your rating system, uh, everything above that is considered your highest risk and your critical tasks. And these are what you're going to pull out for a, a separate critical task listing. Right. So if we're talking about the, um, you know, concept of having a bit of a, a matrix, right, where you have um, the probability and the severity and whatnot on there, and, you know, you're coming up with a number, right, mm -hmm. then you want to set a certain number, 
let's say 12, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, just, just to give an example, um, 12 is your threshold, right? Mm-hmm. So any task that is going to be rated above a 12 is then going to be deemed critical, right? So if you rated something as a 15 and it's not on your critical task list, then that's going to be... That's a problem. That's a problem, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, because when you have something that's deemed a critical task, then there's you know further implement, uh, implications, right? Like you should be creating a safe job procedure. You should be, you know, there's there's going to be more things that you need to do with a task that's deemed critical. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so moving on to uh, two point seven, are controls developed for all identified hazards? So at this point in the element, I'm starting to get kind of excited because when we look back at those chunks that I was talking about, when we talk about defining the scope, stating hazards, rating risks, we're getting a little bit down that list and finally into the controls piece. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a big piece. This is an important piece because now that we've defined what all our problems could be, Mm -hmm. this is where we need to find the solutions. Right. So... Basically, for this one, we're really looking. You notice that sneaky word that that's appearing in there: all identified hazards. Mm-hmm. So we're going back to that listing, and for each hazard that we got into that uh, assessment, we're now going to come up with a list of controls required to to address that specific hazard, and we're going to go through that for each and every hazard yeah. in the list. Right. Uh, in many cases. Uh, you know, you're, a lot of the hazard assessments we look at are in chart form. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the hazards that we're going to be dealing with, especially for the critical tasks, are going to require controls that are considerably more comprehensive than you're going to spell out in, in the cell of a, a chart. <laughs> so when it comes to that, we definitely would be expecting a firm to just reference some external documents that allow you to expand further. So you're right. developing safe work practices and safe job procedures. And these are things that you can reference within that hazard assessment document mm-hmm. that are going to go above and beyond what you can spell out in in a bullet point right so Um, sorry just to jump in there um you know we were talking about uh let's say for example confined spaces you could put in your your chart that your controls would be um you know training uh your control could be having a a confined space uh, rescue plan Mm -hmm. uh you could have a safe job procedure for a confined space um and all that stuff is just basically it's it's referencing what you're going to be doing Um, But the other stuff is going to go into much further detail, like when you get to your safe job procedure. Exactly. And those are the kind of documents that we like to see as samples for this question again, because again, this is a documentation question. Mm -hmm. We definitely want to see that sample size presented by the internal auditor. Right. So if we're talking about that confined space example, um, some of those additional documents that you might uh, reference in that chart would be things to provide for us as well. Again, make sure that you're providing us practices and procedures that are tied to specific hazards. We Mm -hmm. want to be able to see where they came from. There really shouldn't be practices and procedures in your program that don't tie to a specific hazard. Right. uh, Because if the hazard doesn't exist, then then why does the control? Yeah. Um, So do just make sure that you're providing us clear samples of those controls associated with the hazards from your assessments. Okay. And... um... What did you mean by having a specific control? Like, um, saying, are you saying to identify one hazard uh, mm. and then identify the control for that one hazard? Oh, yeah, fair enough. So, um, some submissions that I've seen show sort of a group of controls presented in the chart mm-hmm. for a group of hazards. And in this case, it's really challenging for us to identify which controls are associated with which 
risks mm-hmm. coming out of those different hazards. And and when I see those groupings, I often see as well that one or more of those hazards ends up being unaddressed right. because it wasn't considered um, the most pressing or most critical in the list mm-hmm. and it kind of got overlooked. Mm-hmm. So the controls presented need to be specific enough to actually control the hazard, be paired to a specific hazard, and provide enough detail to to give us the expectation. Right. Okay. Okay, so also, uh, when we're talking about the controls, um, you know, about them being specific, right? So we want to make sure that we have one control for every hazard that's been identified, but we also want to make sure that control is not something that is, like, vague, right? We want to make sure that it's very specific what the intended control is. That's that's absolutely right. So uh, when we're looking at controls, uh, sometimes we'll see PPE stated, mm-hmm. just personal protective equipment. That's, that's a very general statement that doesn't tell us what kind of uh, personal protective equipment would be expected. Right, too vague. Even sometimes I'll see something like gloves mm-hmm. stated, which is obviously more specific than just PPE, yeah. but it still doesn't give us that specific expectation because there's a big difference between when you'd use a nitrile glove mm-hmm. and when you might use a cotton glove. Right. So then making sure that when you have your hazard and your control, that the control is being very specific to that hazard, stating whether it is a cotton or a nitrile glove. Exactly. Okay, perfect. Uh, 2.8, are controls implemented in a timely manner? Okay, so this one, the verification techniques are key Mm -hmm. to answering the question. So... It is a documentation and observation question that are paired together. Right. We're still talking about controls, but now we're really looking for that internal auditor to sort of be grabbing those pieces of information from the field, sort Mm -hmm. of in real life, Mm -hmm. and give us some feedback on whether those controls are being implemented uh, as the staff are using them in the field. So as the internal auditor, you would want to gather your documents that you're considering for this verification at the time of your workplace observations. So when you're attending the given location, gather the hazard assessments that they're actively using in Mm -hmm. that place on the day that you're visiting. Right. Whatever form that takes, whether it's based on, you know, their role, the project, the daily assessments. To be honest, this is often daily assessments. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And you're going to read those documents. Those are also the documents that you're going to provide to us to verify this question. Once you've read those documents, we also want you to compare what the, the staff are doing right. to the controls in that document. And that's what you're gonna give your observation results about. So you're gonna provide us the documents you see, and you're gonna tell us whether they were actually following the controls in those documents when you observed the work. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, when we have an external auditor to go out and they know obviously what they're looking for, it's very easy for them to do those types of things. Hey, show me your daily stuff and, you know, can they observe it, right? So we're just asking in the internal audit that the internal auditor is kind of recreating that and trying to give us that visual as if we were, you know, on site, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Um, so I, I want to touch base on an example here. Um, mm-hmm. If we're going to go back to, or can we go back to the parapet example? Sure. Um, so just to bring it into this uh, situation here, um, at that site, if we were actually going to be there and uh, reviewing the daily JHAs, Um, it should say that there's a hazard of working at heights. um, And then we would want to do two things. We would want to 
provide a copy of the daily JJ. Mm-hmm. And then we would also want to provide the observation comment about the controls that we saw that were actually in, in place, correct? That's exactly right. So basically we need what you just described mm-hmm. to happen at each required location for the visit. Don't yeah. forget that office. Yeah. And that's going to be included in your internal audit. So depending on how many locations you visited, that's going to dictate how many results you're, we're going to see for this question. Right. So you have four sites and the office. Then we're going to be looking for four, uh, four doc- so five documents and five observation comments. Basically, yes. That sounds okay. good. <laughs> Um, okay, 2.9. Uh, are appropriate personnel informed of the control strategies? Okay, so this is awesome because in my little storyline flow, we made it to my last step, mm-hmm. communication. So this is where I start to, you know, breathe some sighs of relief in terms of the program. <laughs> um, your procedures, again, should tell us how you plan to tackle this. How are you going to make the employees aware of the stuff that goes into these hazard assessment documents? It's... Um, you know, these, these are huge documents, huge processes. And as I mentioned, they're foundational to so much of your health and safety management system. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest shame when they're, they're just not used. <laughs> so no one even knows they exist. No one sees all that beautiful work that you put into developing these, these meaningful lists and these meaningful assessments. So the last step really and truly has to be how are people going to be informed of this? Mm-hmm. And then how are you going to prove to us that they were in fact informed of it right one of the common forms we see is going to be in the form of sign-offs on Mm -hmm. the various levels of hazard assessment certainly the daily hazard assessments that we see a lot of um, often take the form of a sort of a a kickoff talk at the beginning of the day yeah Um, but yeah there's basically you specify in your procedure how you're going to tackle it and then show us the implementation here again right okay 2.10 does management support the process of ongoing hazard assessments. So this support can be shown in in truly just a variety of ways. And honestly, I've seen a huge variety of ways Mm -hmm. just based on the different personalities and preferences of, you know, the senior managers that are out there. Um, But the key is that you're going to include some sort of involvement, some sort of review and or other support from your your manager um, in an ongoing fashion. So many firms here are impacted primarily because they're showing for a single time that management was involved in or approved of the development. Yeah, yeah. but then we don't see that ongoing um, support. Mm -hmm. We really do want to, again, ongoing, so think frequency. Mm -hmm. We would like to see three consecutive samples Mm -hmm. of that support. And, and, you know, some examples just to make it a bit concrete in terms of what that support commonly can look like. Um, we often see senior managers reviewing the results of um, the hazard assessments that are happening at the project level or the daily level, or depending on the uh, sample size for that, they might be reviewing a specific sample of those. So right. maybe you have a massive volume of paperwork coming in. So the senior managers may be going to sample a third of them. And, and review those with a sign-off. That's, that's a common way. That's not a required way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's as many different ways to satisfy this question as there are managers. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've seen, you know, that uh, senior managers would 
sign off or review um you know the project hazard assessments right yeah maybe not like the daily stuff right um but you know as a project is getting going and kicking off and you do the project hazard assessment then that might be something where the senior manager wants to get involved there and be a part of that review process sure yeah i think the main key is just that uh, we see their involvement on more than one somewhere. day yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> somewhere yeah. not not more than just the initial right that's right <laughs> Um, okay, so then we're going to move on to the last question is uh, 2.11. Does the company have a process for evaluating and monitoring subcontractors? Okay, so this one, this one falls outside of my storyline. So <laughs> yeah, kind of based on my storyline, we were done. Yeah. But based on this question, we're clearly not. Um, this question, honestly, could be a conversation in and of itself. We could have a whole dialogue, Stacy, on just this and what it can look like. Because of that, sneak peek, guys, spoiler yeah. alert, <laughs> it became an entire element in the core 2020 tool. Yes. So when we go there and you look at element four, it's all about what this question is starting to get at. Yeah. So when... When we're talking about this here in the context of our conversation for today, I really want to drive in on just a couple of the key concepts here. Uh, the first one is it's a it's a four mark question that allows part marks. Mm -hmm. So when I'm reviewing it, I, I sort of like to break it down into four key concepts mm -hmm. to see if those are represented in the evidence I'm getting. Mm -hmm. You, you've heard it a few times from me in conversation with this uh, with this element. Procedures are key. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we do is holding uh, firms to the procedures that they've set. For sure. So for this for this question rather for two eleven, um, it's no different. So for one of the points of the four, I want to see a procedure mm -hmm. that you've written out that addresses the evaluating and monitoring of subcontractors so that I can see what your plan is. Yeah. Again, who, what, when, how, these are the key things that I'd like to see. Mm -hmm. um, again, my sort of go-to thing is it's got an and in it, monitoring and evaluation of subcontractors. So when I'm looking to validate those things, now we're talking implementation. Mm -hmm. We've got three marks left. What I typically look for is, is there some sort of evaluation that occurs for the subcontractors and service providers mm -hmm. prior to the start of their scope of work? So before they show up on site, is there something that's being evaluated to determine whether you know they're ready to show up on your site? And again, it's the firm that is uh, dictating what they're looking for, right? So are you looking for that's the right. WSIB number? Are you or sorry? Uh, certificate, right? Are you looking for the WCB certificate? Are you looking for, you know, the certificate of insurance? Are you, you know, what are you looking for? And then showing us evidence that you've done that. Right. And do make sure that the things you're looking for in this case do pertain to actual safety performance mm -hmm. in terms of in terms of what you're looking for. Um, so yeah, before they get there, just tell us what you want. Um, then they get there. Mm -hmm. This is the monitoring part. Right. So you knew what they were supposed to have you know what they told you they were going to have before they showed up mm -hmm. now they've shown up and what are you going to do to monitor their their progress and their performance as they're on your site right so again um, this should be spelled out in your procedure and i'd be looking for samples of it in imp implementation both with the pre-scope and the implementation during three samples three subs would be you know, what we're looking for. Um, and then carrying that through to my last mark that I haven't talked about yet. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I talked about before they get there, when they're there, the final piece of the puzzle is what happens when they're done. Is there some sort of post-evaluation piece that that looks back on their progress through a given contract and sort of determines how they did and then ideally Stacy we're going to see that feedback loop feed back into that pre-evaluation for future use of the same sub- same subcontractor. Right. And so I mean we've only been talking about this for <clears throat> a couple minutes but uh, you can see obviously um, mm-hmm. everybody listening can can hear that um, it's a lot. It's a lot of evidence that we're looking for. It's a lot of information. So it's you know definitely something that uh, warrants a, a lot more marks and a lot more attention, uh, which is why we've developed it into an entire element in Core 2020. Right. Um, but more specifically, you know, for somebody that or for a, a company that is a, a general contractor, like this is really really important in in how you run your business, right? Like you can't. Um, be having subcontractors come on to site and and not know certain safety information about them, right? Um, That's right. You can't have them on site and not be monitoring them. As the GC, that is your responsibility is to monitor them, right? Um, mm-hmm. So these types of things are stuff that you should be doing as a general contractor. And obviously that's why we've built them into um, the program and why we're expanding on them in uh, Core 2020. Absolutely. And so for this question, the four mark question, it does require a decent amount of evidence that, you know, again, it's I'd be looking for a procedure that tells us what you're going to do and then a sample for three given contractors that you applied it to mm-hmm. at all the different stages. Right. Um, like you said, if, if you deal with a lot of subcontractors, this is this is just vital mm-hmm. for sure. Um, OK, so one thing that I typically see here is um, Hey, Marin, uh, I'm a subcontractor, so I don't have any subcontractors. Uh, <laughs> what do what should firms be doing uh, when that situation arises? If you're truly a subcontractor, you mm-hmm. only go and perform work uh, for a GC. Okay, so simple answer. If you truly never have any subs or service providers, then the internal auditor can mark this as a not applicable mm-hmm. according to the core guidelines. Um, do give us your reasoning behind determining the not applicable and with that information we can you know choose to agree with you which you know we like to do (laughs) Um, but there is sort of I I do caution people to um, rush to the conclusion I guess that uh, this is not applicable Mm -hmm. I encourage everybody to consider the variety of different services that firms might use even if you are a subcontractor so there may be different services that apply even to your office facilities. You know, cleaning services, maintenance services. Um, you know, do you get in a contractor to service your office facilities? And, and even your health and safety consulting, if that's something you engage in. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different providers that you may contract with that it may be worth considering in terms of, of application for this question. Mm-hmm. And it may come up in your external audit. Right. Okay. And something uh, like this, where an organization is assigning themselves as uh, not applicable, um, like you said, it's going to be further reviewed and further expanded upon at the external audit just to make sure that this is in fact accurate. That's right. Because, you know, at the internal audit review stage, uh, we're going off of what's provided. Mm -hmm. So even if we at that point agree with you, hey, seems not applicable, there is always the chance that an external auditor is going to see something different when they appear on site. Okay. Well, we've reached the end of this uh, 
huge element. Uh, <laughs> I think that you did a really great job in uh, summarizing it and, uh, you know, giving people a, a frame of reference in order to, you know, see how how we're working through the element and what kind of evidence we're looking for. So that that's great. Um, but did you have any final thoughts on, on this topic? Any final words of wisdom? <laughs> wisdom? I don't know. Final thoughts? Yes. Um, basically, I just like to stress with this one, you know, it is a big element. It is critical to your system. So it's important to really take time with it, but also appreciate that there really is no one size fits all to mm -hmm. hazard assessment. Uh, so what one company is using may not work for your organization. Yeah. Each company really is different and their hazard ass assessment process is gonna depend on their scope. Yeah. I have a lot of firms calling me up saying, hey, I'm a service provider. Doing a project assessment doesn't make sense for me. Mm -hmm. well, if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. Right. Think about what does make sense and, and write that. Right. Uh, a general contractor is gonna have very different hazard assessment requirements than a company who primarily does that service work. Right. And it's important that that reflect your company and not be something that's impossible to achieve. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the, the goal here is not to have somebody bogged down with uh, safety paperwork and safety stuff. <laughs> we want to have something that is actually applicable uh, to your business and, and to your scope of work. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again so much for tackling this uh, large topic with me. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to speaking with you in future episodes. Excellent. I can't wait. Thanks. the IHSA Safety Podcast. For more episodes, tips, and all things safety, go to ihsasafetypodcast.ca. Thanks for listening.